Alistair, do you think that we are socially distanced enough when recording this podcast? Praveen, we are 7,500 kilometers apart right now. Yeah, but Alistair, we're both speaking really closely to our microphones. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not how viruses spread, Praveen. Um, you haven't been drinking any of the Clorox, have you? Well, no, no, I haven't been drinking it, but I did put a little bit of bleach on the microphone to clean it, you know, just in case. Oh, good grief. Well, I applaud your enthusiasm for safety. Let's move on with the podcast. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Alastair Moss, and I'm a cardiologist at the University of Leicester in the UK. And I am Praveen Ranganath with radiology at the University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas, Texas in the United States. And on today's episode, we will be diving a bit deeper into COVID-19 and cardiac CT. Our specific focus will be on differentiating COVID-related myocardial injury from acute coronary syndrome. Cardiologists and clinicians are encountering all sorts of clinical, biochemical, electrophysiologic, and imaging manifestations of COVID and myocardial injury. That's right, Praveen. In addition to the expected COVID-19 symptoms of a fever and dry cough, which occur in the majority of symptomatic patients, there has been a rise in the number of cases presenting with atypical symptoms, including chest pain and biomarkers for myocardial injury, such as troponin. In a study based on a retrospective analysis from the Chinese epicenter in Wuhan, she and colleagues identified 416 COVID-19 patients and reported that one in five hospitalized patients have a troponin above the 99th centile, indicative of myocardial injury. And in these patients, over 50% have a rapid deterioration requiring non-invasive and mechanical ventilation and sadly do not survive their hospital stay. The mechanism underlying the high troponin levels detected in these patients appears to be wide-ranging as cases of cytokine release syndrome, viral myocarditis, thrombotic ST elevation myocardial infarction, myocardial infarction with non-obstructive coronary arteries, and stress cardiomyopathy have all been reported. Alistair, it sounds like there is a lot of overlap between COVID-19-related myocardial injury and acute coronary syndrome in terms of how they present. What makes this so challenging is that these are not the typical plaque rupture events that we see in patients with type 1 myocardial infarction, where chest pain is the main presenting complaint, who we immediately take to the cath lab. These patients appear to develop a COVID-19-associated coagulopathy, which is characterized by elevations in fibrinogen and degradation dimer. The hypocoagulable state is thought to be driven by a COVID-19 cytokine storm indicating a poor prognosis, and this may also compromise oxygen delivery with the generation of large pulmonary emboli. The key question in my mind is, in a multimorbid patient, as most of our patients are who require hospital admission, and in the absence of a specific treatment for the coronavirus, will a more precise classification of myocardial injury help guide the treatment of COVID-19 patients? But Praveen, what do we actually know about the pathophysiology of COVID in the heart? Eh, the short answer there is not much. There's been a lot of debate focusing on whether the SARS-CoV-2 virus can actually infect cardiac myocytes, or if troponin release is merely a biomarker of the intensity of the infection itself. 
A lot of the speculation comes from what we know about the SARS-CoV-1 virus. That's the one responsible for the 2003 SARS outbreak. Very few COVID-19 case reports with pathology confirmation have been published. A few have been shown at virtual conferences and on Twitter. These few cases have shown a lymphocytic infiltration between the myocytes compatible with myocarditis. However, to date, the only published case that demonstrates viral particles within the cardiac tissue sampled by an endomyocardial biopsy comes from an Italian group in PAVI. The important thing here is that the SARS-CoV-2 RNA was found in the interstitial cytopathic macrophages and not in the cardiac myocytes themselves. The reason that there is a lot of speculation about cardiac myocyte infection is that the science now tells us that the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, ACE2, the good ACE found in human tissue, is the receptor which binds to the spike proteins on the surface of the virus. ACE2 facilitates viral entry into human cells, along with support from another membrane protein, TMPR-SS2. Early preclinical studies have shown some promising results that antibodies to ACE2 and TMPR-SS2 inhibitors may be a potential therapeutic target for SARS-CoV-2 infection. And there are still many unanswered questions about this, like what precipitates cardiac involvement to begin with and if microvascular occlusions contribute to the heart disease. Let's move on to the main clinical dilemma that we're encountering. Praveen, how do we determine whether the raised troponin in COVID-19 patients is due to acute coronary syndrome? Well, the traditional established workflow for acute coronary syndrome always includes invasive catheter angiography to delineate the anatomy and pop open any hemodynamically significant coronary lesions. But it's not that straightforward in the COVID era, right, Alistair? Indeed. Opening up the cath lab requires mobilizing lots of people, often out of hours, and places an extra demand on scarce resources like PPE. We are hearing too often now that these suspected or confirmed COVID-19 patients with myocardial injury get taken to the lab, but end up having no obstructive coronary disease. Some groups have even reported rates of ACS with normal coronary arteries to be as high as 25%. Uh, Enter cardiac CT. We know that cardiac CT, and specifically coronary CTA, has a very high sensitivity and a nearly 100% negative predictive value in the diagnosis of coronary artery disease for low to intermediate risk patients that present with acute chest pain. These data come primarily from the so-called Big 3 coronary CTA trials for acute chest pain that included over 3,000 collective patients. Those are the Akron-PA, CT-STAT, and Romicat 2 trials. A 2018 meta-analysis from Gungora and colleagues of the Big 3 and several other trials, including over 6,000 patients, showed no significant difference in all-cause mortality, MI, and MACE between coronary CTA and standard care. These optimistic findings are in line with the 2010 multi-society appropriate use criteria, as well as the 2017 NICE guidelines update supporting coronary CTA for acute chest pain. Yeah, but remember, those data are for acute chest pain where the EKG and troponins were initially negative. So how about CTA when the EKG and troponins are not negative, when they're abnormal? Well, in the UK, a lot of effort has been made over the past decade to expand cath lab capacity so that all NSTEMIs can get an invasive angiogram and potentially PCI. Those retroplaques need stenting, as my interventionist colleagues keep telling me. There's not much room for coronary CTA there. 
Yeah, Alistair, but some recent data are challenging our view on the role of CTA in NSTEMIs. For example, the sub-studies of the Verdict and Carmenta trials have really strengthened our confidence in CTA as a gatekeeper for the cath lab. These studies have shown a high 90-plus percent negative predictive value and demonstrated no higher risk of MACE if we defer going to the cath lab when the CTA is reassuring. Okay, Praveen, I see where this is going. But for STEMIs, right, our focus is on getting them to the lab as soon as possible. Time is myocardium. So so let's just set up a CT scanner in the doorway of the cath lab, right? Oh, good grief. Okay, all kidding aside, the question now is, can we apply these coronary CTA data to exclude ACS safely and effectively in our COVID patients? In principle, I think we can. A coronary CTA can prevent unnecessary trips to the cath lab, thereby protecting operators and staff, saving PPE, and narrowing down the differential diagnosis for these patients. Yeah, excluding acute coronary syndrome with CTA in these patients is all well and good, but Alistair, what about when we really do have obstructive stenoses that we see on CT? Uh, This part is a little tougher. Obviously, in a patient where CTA can't exclude ACS, we're strongly compelled to go to the cath lab. Yeah, but just because we see obstructive stenoses on CT and in the lab, how do we know that those stenoses aren't just a red herring and it's actually a COVID-related myocarditis that's the main culprit? Can't a dog have both ticks and fleas? Well, an interventional cardiologist will quote you Occam's razor. Pluralitas non est ponenda sine necessitat. When you have two competing theories that make the same prediction, the simpler one is better, right? But your point is well taken. Patients with both COVID and underlying CAD raise particularly difficult problems. Some of the advanced CT capabilities like CT FFR and CT perfusion can help up our diagnostic confidence. But these have their own technical limitations and timing considerations in this acute setting. Are there any other tips and tricks that can be used to help out in these scenarios, Praveen? Well, this isn't as well studied as coronary CTA, but late iodine enhancement CT protocols have some promise in identifying areas of myocardial edema and a scar. The principle here is similar to late gadolinium enhancement that we use in MRI routinely to diagnose myocarditis and infarcts. Typically, these late iodine enhancement protocols image the heart around 5 to 10 minutes or so after administration of contrast to identify areas of a late myocardial enhancement. These late enhancement patterns can be interpreted very similarly to MRI, where patchy or linear mid-myocardial enhancement suggests a myocarditis, and subendocardial enhancement suggests an infarct. Dr. Gianluca Pontone from Milan in Italy has shown a really nice case on several recent webinars of several late iodine enhancement CT images in a COVID-positive patient that had elevated troponins. The images show a mid-myocardial focal late iodine enhancement that's most compatible with the myocarditis. It's important to note that There is no established late iodine enhancement protocol, and these protocols can differ significantly with regards to imaging timing, contrast volume, reinjection strategies, use of spectral CT, and even the post-processing methods. That's pretty neat, Praveen. 
Whilst it's fun for us too to speculate on the role of CT in suspected ACS, let's talk about what the real experts from the major societies are saying. <laughs> yeah, well, there are currently several different guidance documents available for cardiac imaging in COVID. Some of the most relevant documents are those from the SCCT, from the North American Society of Cardiovascular Imaging, or NASCI, and the European Society of Cardiology. Each of these documents provides great incremental suggestions, and they all together have a very similar overall message. The SCCT guidelines, recently updated on March 21st, emphasize that the ability of cardiac CT to decisively exclude coronary disease or high-risk anatomy may prevent the need for inpatient admissions and resource use. The guidelines go on to state that the benefit of cardiac CT in most clinical scenarios will be lower than the risk of exposure and infection to healthcare personnel. Next, let's talk about the NASCI guidelines. These guidelines, published on April 6th, provide suggested imaging protocols for certain clinical scenarios in suspected or confirmed COVID patients. With regard to ACS specifically, the guidelines suggest using coronary CTA over usual care with invasive angiography in two specific scenarios. Number one, with elevated troponins and an equivocal diagnosis of an NSTEMI. And number two, with acute chest pain in an intermediate risk patient with negative initial troponins. Another interesting point raised in these guidelines is the idea of consolidated imaging. Clinicians often seek information about the lungs, the pulmonary arteries, and the coronaries that result in multiple trips to radiology, multiple staph exposures, and overuse of PPE. So rather than doing multiple imaging exams, the guidelines suggest a consolidated triple rule-out CT that can assess the severity of lung involvement, check for PEs, and check for coronary lesions all at once. However, it's important to note that these triple rule-out studies come at the expense of more contrast and more radiation. Lastly, let's talk about the ESC guidance document. This document provides a pretty extensive overview on the diagnosis and management of cardiovascular disease in the COVID era. Regarding cardiac imaging, the society states that CT may be the preferred imaging modality over nuclear and MR for acute chest pain to diagnose CAD. The primary reason stated is the fast scan time of CT relative to nuclear and MR imaging, which can thereby minimize exposure. What's more, the document goes on to suggest deferring all inpatient and outpatient nuclear cardiac imaging and stress testing. In summary, all of these major society guidance documents support CT as the preferred imaging modality in characterizing coronary anatomy in patients with acute chest pain and, in certain situations, patients presenting with NSTEMIs. CT has the potential to be the quadruple rule-out scan during this time of COVID. Excellent. That just about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you, Praveen, and thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Alistair, and thank you, everyone out there. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, The Donut of Destiny. Cheers. Cheers.